I have never run a business before where I get these unsolicited thank you notes from perfect strangers who say, you saved my marriage or you changed the trajectory of my family. Because back to what I said in the beginning, a job, your vocation is such an important part of who you are. And when you are swimming in the waters of woke culture for eight to 10 hours a day, it will have a huge impact on your worldview, on your outlook on life. And if you can be at a company that's free, that actually believes in freedom, you're going to be surprised what an impact it has. So redbloom.work, we are a job board for those who care about freedom. We also do some other interesting things for small businesses because for a small business, hiring is terrifying today. Because if you ask the wrong questions in an interview, you're going to get yourself a lawsuit. But if you don't ask those questions, you're going to get a bad culture fit, and then you're going to get a lawsuit. So what we started doing, we actually started this with Louder with Crowder, but we actually do it with a lot of businesses now, is we'll actually take on that hiring process for a business. We'll help write a job posting. We'll post on Red Balloon and other places. We'll do direct sourcing through resume databases to make sure we're getting lots of candidates. And then we'll turn around and actually interview people and do a first cultural interview to make sure that we are driving value for that business and bringing them someone who's going to build their culture, not destroy their culture. So that's what redballoon.work is. So we are a job board plus. Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Saurabh Sharma. I'm the president of American Moment, and I'm joined by Nick Solheim, the COO of American Moment. And this week, we have yet another fantastic episode for you guys today, something a little bit off the beaten track this week. We'll get to what that is in a moment. But as always, be sure to go to AmericanMoment.org. There you can find the backlog of this show and everything we have cooking here at American Moment, upcoming programs, the backlog of this show, Amcanon, which is our collation of books, essays, podcasts, YouTube videos, and more, as well as just general news on what's going on. We're a busy, thriving, and wildly successful organization that you have to learn more about. So go to AmericanMoment.org. This week, we had on someone from the business world, someone who's doing a lot of interesting stuff in politics, um, but with a very interesting perspective on a lot of the concepts that we talk about here at American Moment. This week we had on Andrew Krapuschets. I think I'm getting that right. He 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 is not offended like I am when people pronounce his name wrong. Um, he was joking about in France, his name sounds really cool. And here it gets a lot of question marks. And I definitely understand that. Andrew is a pioneer in the labor market, data and analytics industry and the visionary behind Red Balloon. He began his career as a young Silicon Valley entrepreneur, building business process automation and selling 3D modeling software. In 2001, he became a founding member and later CEO of MC, now Lightcast, which he transformed from a little known consultant company of three employees to an international economic data firm with over 250 employees worldwide. Um, he built that company from scratch, and then that company pushed him out. And we talk about that story and everything going on in the parallel economy, what it means to be a business leader today, how to hire, how to fire, how to build a movement for Red America. I just thought it was a fascinating discussion. Nick, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I first met uh, Andrew out in Moscow, I think it was like back in May. Uh, and it was super evident to me then that he was a guy who's already been to a lot of places and is going uh, a lot of places, being in his office and meeting a lot of the people that uh, work for him and, and with him building a lot of great things. Um, this is the the way of the future for the for the conservative ecosystem. I mean, it was a, a fascinating conversation. We we totally believe in in Andrew and, and everything him and his team uh, is is working on. Um, and we. Look forward to seeing much of their success. 
And look, the red economy is only going to work if employees are as productive as humanly possible, which is why we're such big fans of Magic Mind. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see these little green shots that you keep in your fridge and drink with your morning coffee. They help extend that caffeine uh, productivity boost that you get in the morning. And frankly, they work even without the caffeine. Um, I've been taking Magic Mind uh, every morning for the past couple of months, and it's honestly been such a help in making sure that it can have those long productivity stretches going on into the evening without getting all jittery and crazy from caffeine. Nick used to drink like drink like a gallon of coffee a day and was a crazy person. But with Magic Mind, we've been vastly more productive. It's a lot of fantastic natural ingredients, including matcha, adaptogens, nootropics. Um, it boosts your immunity with vitamin C, D, and echinacea. It's good stuff in there. Uh, you drink it with your morning coffee. It tastes good. It's subtly sweet, and it really helps make sure that you get that big productivity boost you need in order to be successful. So we can't recommend it enough. And if you'd like to try it out, you can go to magicmind.com and use our promo code TRUTH 20 or you can go to magicmind.com slash quite unusual 20 there you can find um, all the products they sell you can get it a one-time purchase you can get on a subscription but i highly recommend trying it out dc is a town that's absolutely crazy all the time and if you want to make sure that you have the stamina to get through the day and be the most productive person you can to save america be sure to try out magic mind once again the promo code is truth 20 we'll go now to andrew ceo of red balloon and one of the great pioneers behind the parallel economy. Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We always like to hear about how our guests got to where they are today. Uh, you have a very interesting story, one that's a little bit different than most of the guests on this show, um, a world uh, that involves business and uh, a whole other side of the country. Tell us that story. How did you become the person you are today involved in what you are today okay um yeah i just grew up in the san francisco bay area uh, my dad actually helps install the first computers at stanford university when he was there as a phd student um and so i was always around computers and then there were some dot coms that thought that i had skills at 16 so um, i started working i didn't actually even finish high school really um i describe my wife and i as she's dr crappy shuts and i'm sub ged crappy <laughs> but she uh but i paid for her degrees so i feel like i get some credit for totally uh, for all of her fancy degrees so um so yeah grew up in the san francisco barrier got to do a dot com uh, there um, with some other people, we raised 32 million of VC money. 32 um, million in the late 90s, a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of money. Um, and that's basic, like nothing today. Yeah, it's, like, it's a rounding. It's <laughs> a, what the coffee costs this morning with the inflation. So um, it was really fascinating, though, because as a young man, um, I ended up doing seven different jobs for them over a seven-year period. Um, I turned 21 on an expense account because I was traveling to... Um, by the time I turned 21, I was in charge of... Um, sales engineers for the West Coast and Asia uh, for this company. And so uh, I spent a lot of time in Tokyo um, at karaoke bars, playing golf, um, having a really good time. And it's funny when you do all those things and you don't have the discipline of fiscal responsibility, that $32 million goes pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> it, but it also teaches you a lot about this whole VC world where um, it's this uh, weird um, – bending of reality because most businesses, you know, if you started a welding shop, you would try and be profitable because that's how you pay your bills. But when you have this, this whole dot-com world, which I'll get into because I've then started a bunch of other businesses, um, you have this, this push 
to grow regardless of profit, which I don't think is actually how the world was designed um, by God. So anyway, we went through that. Lo and behold, when you have a really good time, you run out of money eventually. Um, and we did. So uh, the company got, uh, we went from 250 to 18 employees one day. And I was not one of those employees. And they basically <laughs> left a, a skeleton crew around to clean up the mess. Um, about a year before that happened, I got tired of traffic and liberals. So I moved to Idaho. Um, and as you know, the Bay Area is uh, has lots of traffic and liberals. So um, living up there was amazing because I moved up there for a year. So I was an early adopter of getting out of California and working from home. Uh, so they allowed me to continue to work for a year up in Idaho. Uh, when the business went out, when it went down to those 18 employees and I wasn't one of them, um, I looked around and saw that there weren't a lot of good jobs in Moscow. Uh, Moscow, Idaho is where I live now. And it's a college town and you either worked at the university or the hospital or Walmart. There really weren't a lot of options. And so um, I thought, well, if God's given me skills, I should use those to um, to bless other people because a job is just a really important part of who a person is, right? If you meet someone new, you ask them, what do you do? And you're asking what their job is, but it betrays, that question betrays the job's not just a nine to five hobby, it's your vocation. It's a defining feature of who you are. And so if we want Christians to thrive and be prosperous, they need to have good jobs. Um, and so that really was the the goal and the motivation for me. So uh, I was able to found a 3D printing business that we ended up selling off to Stryker. I started a student information system business with a couple other guys that is now called Populi. Ended up doing a management buyout to them. So they bought all of the ownership because I wanted them to be able to build their own wealth. Um, and then I started a company called Economic Modeling Specialist International with two economists. So um, I never had more than 30% ownership. So I never had a controlling interest. But the three of us started this business with a thesis around, can we create labor market data that gives people decision-ready information at the point of decision for some of the biggest decisions in their life? And you think about, like, if you, on your phone, you can decide where you're going to go on a vacation or get a mortgage for your house or dinner tonight or any of this information is on your phone. But what's not on your phone is what college degree should I get that will, draw, that will fit with who I am and will drive the highest... Um, prosperity in my vocation, right? Or should what skill could I achieve right now that would give me the biggest raise in my job? Like there's none of this information available to most individuals. And so we went on this kind of journey to develop labor market data. But because I'm kind of a strange person, our goal was not a business goal initially, because back to I wanted prosperity in Moscow, I wanted great jobs. And so the first business goal for this company, uh, Economic Modeling Specialist International, MZ, was 50 employees earning over $50,000 a year in Moscow, Idaho. So the goal was all around driving great jobs. Were your co-founders in Moscow as well? Yes, okay. they were. Yep. Both of them were professors from the university. So Moscow is where the University of Idaho is. So sleepy little college town. Yeah. And so 50 at 50 was our goal because we thought if we can do that, if we have a two and a half million dollar payroll, we'll actually start to move the needle. Um, and I know $50,000 doesn't sound like a lot in Washington, D.C., uh, but 20 years ago in Moscow, Idaho, that was pretty good money. And so that was our initial goal is 50 at 50. If we can do that, it will actually uh, move the needle on this little town. Um, and 
by the grace of God, we uh, went way, way past that. But that was the initial goal of the business. And the goal was bring labor market data to people so that they can make good decisions. Uh, we ended up bringing labor market data for community colleges primarily. Um, and then we started going into um, chambers of commerce, economic development. So we started helping a lot of organizations understand what the makeup of their economy is. Because you think about it, if you are a community college and you decide you want to do a registered nursing program, that is a multi-million dollar decision because you've got to get faculty, you've got to get a location, you've got to get equipment, you've got to get curriculum, you need to market the program, you need to get students in, and then you need to get them all the way through into uh, the workforce. And if you do all that and there's no job for them at the end, you've done everybody a massive disservice, yeah. right? So, uh, but if you can uh, look at good labor market data that is not designed for economists, but it's designed for people who are trying to make those decisions, then they then you can make better decisions. So we worked with most of the community colleges in the country, um, a lot of universities, um, and then we ended up working with a lot of large uh, corporations. So Amazon, Facebook, um, all the usual suspects, and basically any company with over five thousand employees was starting to do strategic workforce planning and thinking about their workforce. Um, and 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 the way I explained this best is I was talking to a Fortune five hundred CEO, and I said you know, what do you care the most about your business? He's like, our people are most important asset. I'm like, well, that makes sense. All of us say that. Um, okay. So you have a five-year financial plan. He's like, well, of course we do. It's a, you know, we're a publicly traded company. I said, do you have a five-year people plan, a plan to be able to have the talent in your workforce, within your four walls so that your business can succeed? He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really what we were striving to do. We were helping with strategic workforce planning for a lot of these companies. So anyway, I continued to build the business. We built it to about $50 million, ended up selling it a whole bunch of times. The first time I sold it, remember it's me and those two economists, um, I knew as much about business as anybody in the business. And I knew that I needed to grow and expand my horizons um, to be a better business person. And so uh, I went and found a private equity firm in Palo Alto and they bought a minority, actually a majority stake in the business, bought out most of the owners, gave me some more ownership, allowed me to grow the business. And that was a two and a half year process that was really, really helpful. Uh, it was also kind of fun to, you know, pay off your house and things like that. Totally. That was cool. <laughs> um, but then uh, after two and a half years, I kind of like, okay, we've kind of maxed out what we've learned from them and we're going to move to the next. And so then we sold it to CareerBuilder, a uh, large job board, which is going to full circle back to what I'm doing today. Uh, CareerBuilder bought it. And that was a great way for us to enter into that corporate space um, because they they already have a massive sales team that are selling to those people. Um, Career Builder was kind of in a tough spot because they were not executing well. And so when they bought us, and this unfortunately what happens a lot is businesses buy other small businesses when they're not innovating themselves anymore. They're using that as a proxy for just because they have a bunch of cash, right? So uh, Career Builder was kind of on the decline. Uh, they were bought by Apollo, which is big, bad private equity out of New York. And I met with those people and they realized, hey, we have a business within CareerBuilder that's smaller, but is growing 40% a year with a 40% margin. And that is a very high, and it's all SaaS, right? That's a very high value business. And so uh, they sold this little piece of CareerBuilder for um, almost a third of what they paid for all of CareerBuilder. Uh, so they did pretty well in that transaction. So we ended up going over to Strata, which was a national nonprofit, which was phenomenal. They were great to work with um, until B 
BLM and George Floyd and COVID came around. Um, and then the social pressure on them as a national nonprofit was uh, immense. And they wanted me to start making statements about um, about George Floyd or BLM or COVID. They wanted me to have all the employees get masked or vaccinated. I'm like, I'm just a hard no on all of these things because um, in what world do you, as the CEO of a data company, decide you're going to ostracize some of your customers by making this big political statement one way or the other. And they could not see that because the pressure from the left was so strong. And your workforce was still largely based out of Moscow. It was largely based out of Moscow and largely Christian. And I knew that they would be they would have a smoking crater on their hands if I did what they said. Where was the Strata headquarters? I'm just uh, trying they to were get in Indianapolis. To... Okay, uh, but a lot of tight ties to DC. Yeah, so right, not a very different cultural world. Very, very different, right? And so, so now we're in this moment, um, and I had fights with their legal department. Um, then they started looking into the culture that I was building. Um, and look, I was striving to have a distinctly Christian culture, even if there were not Christians as the owners of the organization. And so we had kind of three guiding principles for our business. First, we bless the customer. And that means we want them to be better off, even if they don't buy anything. We want them to be better at doing their job. We want them to be able to um, use data to make better decisions in their organizations, even if they don't pay us money. And when you do that, it's amazing. Customers love you. Um, and so bless the customer, then bless the employee. I wanted every employee to be a better person because they worked for me. Um, not just a better employee, but a better person, uh, better father, husband, wife, uh, mother, etc. And when you do that, it's amazing because I would tell employees, look, you're probably not going to retire here at this company. And so I want you to be a better employee for your next employer. And when you say stuff like that, it's funny how nobody leaves, um, right? Everyone struggles with retention, but when you hold on tight to all your employees and you're desperate to not lose anybody, um, you generally lose everybody. Yeah. But when you're saying, look, I want you to be better people so that you can have a better job somewhere else so that you can be a better member of society. It's funny, our turnover was shockingly low, right? So bless the customer, bless the employees, and then bless the shareholder because we are people under authority. We should understand that. Shareholders should be part of this. But if shareholders understand that customers come first, then employees, the shareholders are going to do very well. And they did do very well mm -hmm. as part of this organization. So we were striving for that. And every new employee that came into the business, I would ask them, I would say, look, um, I don't, you know, you can come from whatever uh, faith tradition you want, but I'm an unapologetic conservative CEO who is a Christian and I'm going to run the business like that. If that's a problem for you, probably this isn't the right place for you. Um, and I only had three employees over 15 years or potential employees say, you know, that just makes me uncomfortable. Like, great. That just saved us both a lot of time. And actually, my lawyer's like, for you to say that, it's kind of like the equivalent of saying the contents of this cup might be hot. And then if someone burns themselves, it's like, well, I told you I was a Christian CEO. I'm going to pray at dinners. I'm going to. And I said, the ramifications of that are we're not going to have politics in the office. So if someone comes into my office and says, hey, you as the CEO are doing a terrible job then they might get a raise because I want to listen to that input. But if they come into my office and say, you know, Nick is doing a terrible job and they haven't talked to Nick first, they might get fired on the spot. 
because I did not want a culture where you could talk behind each other's back. Uh, we had a kegerator in the office, but we, I said, look, the beer is for us to have fun and live in the joy of life, but not to get drunk. And if you get drunk at work, I'm going to fire you for that too. So there were ramifications of this Christian culture in the business. And I had a lot of people who did not have um, any sort of Christian background. Like this is the the safest, healthiest, happiest business I've ever been in. Um, the board did not agree with that. So they actually um, got a Boston law firm to do a dossier on the culture that I was building. And that was not a happy thing. So they ended up selling it, I think, despite me, to KKR's ESG fund. Um, <laughs> so and if you know anything, KKR barbarians in the gate, the whole situation, right? Um, and you can guess that KKR's ESG fund was not a fan of my uh me. What was the even vaguely colorable reason to sell it to the ESG fund to begin with? Why was the ESG fund interested? Because it's people. So it was, oh, okay. you know, environmental, yeah. social, yeah. it's a yeah. social aspect, right? Oh, we're helping people get better jobs. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Well, so, yeah. So well, it's interesting too, like having been to your office in Moscow, like yeah. you can see the building from, from those windows in your office. Like it's, it's, still there so right. to, tell us more about that um you know transition into starting red balloon and and all of that yeah yeah so it's all right i've been monologuing on all this stuff so uh, it's all great it, it interesting because this this was you know i'll be honest very very painful right i built this business over 20 years and i'd done some of these other businesses i had i was on the nsa board for a bit uh i'd helped logos i'm on the accs association of classical christian schools national board. So I had other interests, but MZ really was my main thing. And I was trying to figure out how do we build a distinctly Christian culture that drives prosperity for Moscow. Um, and so when you get um, fired, um, and it wasn't firing, when you're a CEO, they say, we would like you to be an advisor to the board. So you get this promotion, <laughs> meaning we don't want you around anymore. Um, so uh, when that happened, it was really hard because for 20 years, I was the guy who was running this business. We just built a new 70,000 square foot um, headquarters in Moscow. Um, we were the dominant employer. We, you know, I had a. Uh, hey, you guys were the biggest private sector employer in the city, probably. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I had a Christmas contest where we gave away like $15,000 a year in Christmas decoration prizes. Like, you know, I was like, I'm going to lean into uh, because who doesn't like Christmas? And if Christ came and uh, changed the world, we should celebrate it like, totally. like we mean it. So um, anyway, so I get kicked out effectively, uh, which is interesting because they they – Long story boring, KKR had bought another business that we that was our top competitor, and we were slowly putting them out of business. And so KKR was about to take a nine-figure loss on that business. So they could outbid everybody else for the business by nine figures and still come out ahead because they would just combine the businesses. So they took the CEO of that failing business and put it over the and put him over the whole thing. Um, which I knew would not last because even if you have the right social media profile, you still have to be good at your job, it turns out. Um, and so that only lasted for four or five months and then they got rid of him um, and now they have another CEO in there. But um, but it, it, was a, it was a hard transition because a lot of my identity was tied up in this is my job, this is what I'm doing. And I needed to transition you know, as a Christian to know my identities in Christ and I need to not be distracted by 
this desire for, you know, I was the ring giver. I was the one who gave the great jobs, who made a ton of money. And now I was the guy who was, you know, I moved to a small office in one of my buildings and it was like, and here I am. Dum, 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 dum. Um, but that's okay. Um, and, and God used that. Uh, my wife actually wrote a, an article in the Federalist and there's a transition to Red Balloon saying my husband wasn't fired. He was redeployed. And if God redeploys you to do something else, you can't question that right as a soldier. So um, and that's um, kind of ties me back to the Red Balloon story. I, I really do want to get into the Red Balloon stuff. But over the course of you telling that narrative, I, I, I sort of realized and you, you would kind of slyly mention each time, you know, you, you've seen almost every element of how modern business um, life works, ranging yeah. from venture capital to mergers and acquisitions to scaling from a small to a medium to, you know, 280 is large is a strong word, but, you yeah, know, yeah, in the grand scheme sure. of things, um, you've seen private equity, you've seen ESG up close. I, I just want to run through a couple of those different elements because I think it's interesting going back to the beginning. I mean, do, do you think that the VC model of funding, I guess, specifically software companies, um, results in perverse incentives? I mean, how do you think that that system should work? Or do you think that should be a smaller piece of the pie than it currently is? Yeah, uh, I do think it should be a smaller piece of the pie. There are some businesses that I don't know if there's a way to scale them without massive injection of capital, right? Um, and, and pick on like a two-sided marketplace, like my friends over at Public Square. So they're trying to build a marketplace with consumers and businesses, and they've got to find each other. Well, the problem is if you're public square and you are carefully trying to grow then um, and not using, not burning through a lot of capital, well, let's say you only have one coffee shop in all of DC in your app. Well, the problem is if a consumer comes, looks and like, oh, yep, I don't see anything here. They probably will just get rid of the app and not use it again, right? And that's um, it's a problem we struggle with with Red Balloon a little bit. And you look at um, organizations like Uber or others where basically it's a scale business, and you either have scale or you have nothing. So I think those type of businesses, it's inevitable that you have to have some significant injection of capital to be able to get over the hump. Um, you look at uh, Yelp. Yelp took $400 million to be able to get to profitable. Uh, ZipRecruiter took $700 million of injected capital of investment to get to profitable. So some of these two-sided businesses need that. Or you look at an Indeed.com, who is uh, a big woke job board. They only took $5 million of capital 20 years ago, which is you know the equivalent of call it $20 million of capital today. And comparatively, but they took 20 years, they almost took 10 years to really get to the point where they were to scale and they really struggled for a long time. So I'd say some businesses, that's the case. There's other businesses where it's actually just the lazy man's way of getting yourself a big salary because it is way easier to raise capital than customers, um, believe it or not. Like it is it, like I could go and pitch a VC, especially with my background at this point, and I could get almost anything funded that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to find product market fit and actually bless customers and actually build a revenue positive business. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it has become a crutch for a lot of people to not deal with the market tension um, of I need to have a great product that is valuable for our customers enough that it pays all my bills. Right. Um, and, you know, you even look at DoorDash today. DoorDash is still losing massive amounts of money. Yeah. Um, and and they've got to figure out how to solve that because at some point it used to be you would invest in a business for the return, not just for the hope of growth. Right. And I think that's that's the 
kind of uh, perverse incentive in the market right now. Yeah, that's that's particularly interesting. I guess in in the world of enterprise SaaS specifically, there's an added weird element, which is, you know, you you look at who the day one through maybe even day one thousand customers are for a lot of enterprise SaaS companies. It's other companies in the portfolio, the venture capitalists who funded the enterprise sure. SaaS company. For sure, like there's a lot of funny business that goes on yeah. in that in that world. Um, and you know, in any in any one side of transaction like that. Um, it does seem like the discipline of finding product market fit is just a lot less prevalent. Well, I'll give you an example. So MZ, the company I built, we never took growth capital. Wow. So we we built the whole thing with customer revenue. Um, and we ended up with some one-time products because that gets you paid a lot faster than software products. Mm-hmm. And so we did these economic impact studies where we would do the work and then we'd get paid for the work. And that helped fuel the development of the software and then the renewable engine mm-hmm. that really um, propelled the business. But it is possible to build a business without just venture capital and, and the the weird um, market distortion that happens when all of a sudden you have $32 million of venture capital money in your playing golf for no reason with customers in Tokyo. Well, it's also a lot harder, I think, to base that company if it was venture capital funded out of Moscow, Idaho. For sure. Because venture capitalists are not looking... (laughs) They're looking to get a return on their portfolio in seven years. They're not interested in you creating prosperity in a small town in Idaho. Correct. (laughs) Correct. So tell us more about uh, Red Balloon. Okay. All all these listeners have heard us mention it, and they're probably wondering (laughs) what the heck we're talking about. It's a cliffhanger. (laughs) Uh, So Red Balloon. So um, about uh, four months after I left, I was going to take a year off. I'm doing a large housing development in Moscow. I own a number of commercial uh, buildings in Moscow, and I was just going to take a year off, play a little golf, do a little real estate, um, and then figure out what my next chapter was. Uh, And a friend was like, hey, what happened to you where you basically had to decide between your job and your values? I bet that's going to happen to a lot of other Americans with this wokeness in the workplace. Um, You should make a job board with a thesis around freedom so that if those people have to make that decision, they at least know where to go. Right. Because what's interesting is for a conservative, um, your job is a very important lever to maybe make you compromise. Like if if we get canceled off of Facebook, I'm going to shrug it off like, OK, like worse things have happened. If you get canceled from your ability to feed your kids and pay your mortgage. You're going to be much more tempted to compromise something you hold dearly. And so. Um, we wanted to have a spot. So when someone is presented with that alternative, they know, well, if I stick with my values and I lose my job, I can find another job. So redballoon.work, um, because .com sounded too much like communist to me. And so we, uh, it's a .work. So redballoon.work is now the nation's leading job board for those who want freedom and don't want wokeness in the workplace. Um, really cool. Uh, I started it really on a whim. My brother and I knocked it out in a weekend because um, I have a technology background and he does. And I'm like, ta-da, job board, we're good to go. And I made some videos so that people would know and then I was going to be done. Um, and we started getting businesses and job seekers. We're like, that's great, but this isn't really what I'm doing right now. Um, and then the vaccine mandate came along. And Joe Biden... Oh, so you were building this in 2021? I was. Wow. Um, and I was building it just months before the vaccine mandate came around. And then that comes around and I get a call from Fox and Friends and they say, hey, we heard that you have the nation's leading job board for those who don't have a vaccine mandate. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) So uh, so I get on Fox and Friends and um, you do that. And then all of a sudden you have um, hundreds of employers joining and thousands of job seekers. And all of a sudden you have this marketplace. Um, So. 
uh, as part of that, and it's funny because I would say controversial things like, I think you should talk to your doctor, not your HR department about what you put in your body. People would be like, what is this? <laughs> so, um, so I ended up, I've done like 400 media interviews in the last 18 months because that's um, great marketing. And I say crazy things like that. So um, redballoon.work, we now have over 3,000 businesses. Um, who have signed a pledge that they think the Constitution still matters and they are uh, promising to respect the freedom of their current and future employees up to and including medical privacy. Um, and then we have over a million job seekers have been on the site. And when they sign up, they sign a pledge that says, um, I will show up to work, I will do my job and I won't be a whiner, basically. Um, and so when you all of a sudden have a marketplace like that, it's amazing. Uh, I have never run a business before where I get these unsolicited thank you notes from perfect strangers who say, you saved my marriage or you changed the trajectory of my family. Because back to what I said in the beginning, a job, your vocation is such an important part of who you are. And when you are swimming in the waters of woke culture for eight to 10 hours a day, it will have a huge impact on your worldview, on your outlook on life. And if you can be at a company that's free, that actually believes in freedom, you're going to be surprised what an impact it has. So redballoon.work, we are a job board for those who care about freedom. We also do some other interesting things for small businesses because for a small business, hiring is terrifying today. Because if you ask the wrong questions in an interview, you're going to get yourself a lawsuit. But if you don't ask those questions, you're going to get a bad culture fit, and then you're going to get a lawsuit. And so for a small business, I was talking to a small Christian radio station in Texas. He's like, I need an executive assistant. I literally don't even know where to start because if I get somebody in here who's a woke tard, it's going to destroy my business. I know it will. And if I fire them, they're going to sue me. And then the business is gone, right? They're terrified. So what we started doing, we actually started this with Louder with Crowder, but we actually do it with a lot of businesses now, is we'll actually take on that hiring process for a business. We'll help write a job posting. We'll post on Red Balloon and other places. We'll do direct sourcing through resume databases to make sure we're getting lots of candidates. And then we'll turn around and actually interview people and do a first cultural interview to make sure that we are driving value for that business and bringing them someone who's going to build their culture, not destroy their culture. So that's what redballoon.work is. So we are a job board plus, if that makes sense. Are you worried that um, as you attain more success that there will start to be in a completely dishonest way, sort of legal scrutiny on that process. What are the risks there associated with you know, everything from Civil Rights Act to um, other other um, you know legal barriers to to doing that kind of extreme cultural fit uh, yeah. uh, assessment on people? Um, so we have a labor lawyer um, and Laura, the labor lawyer, which is fun to say, uh, Laura, the labor lawyer. She went to Harvard. Um, law school. She was a labor lawyer in California, the People's Republic of California for 20 years. And so she has a, a deep understanding of EEOC and all of the things connected with that. And so we are constantly doing training for our staff because I, there will be legal scrutiny. Someone will go after us. In fact, it's happened multiple times when we got on interviews with people who had applied for jobs and realized they were actually reporters trying to do a hit piece on what we were doing. That's happened a number of times and our team knows exactly what to do. And we're like, okay, so are you applying for the job? Are you willing to relocate? No. Okay. It's probably just not a good fit. There's no reason for us to engage in <laughs> questions about red balloons. So, uh, so that's absolutely going to happen and it will continue to happen. So, but there are a lot of legal protections in the hiring process and a lot of conservatives don't take advantage of those in the way that liberals do. You can describe your business all you want. 
right? You could, you could say, look, we believe in bless the customer. What does that mean to you? Right. And when you asked a question like that, an open-ended evidence-based question, give us an example of where you blessed customers and really understood that. Well, it's hard to answer that if you actually don't have a deep understanding and a good culture fit. Right. So that's what we do right now. Um, and we interview literally hundreds of people every month for our customers. Um, and it has just been a huge blessing for them. So, uh, so far, so good. Um, when I call you from prison, uh, <laughs> is there like an anti red balloon? Like, you, you, you know, you must be vaccinated. To, yeah. I guess it's indeed probably <laughs> indeed. So so answers in Genesis signed up last week um uh, on red balloon and we got them a ton of candidates and the reason they signed up is because indeed kicked them off indeed mm. said you're a you know known terrorist organization answers in genesis and all that ken ham actually wrote them a letter saying hey we're a religious organization it's legitimate what we're doing and indeed said nothing doing you're not allowed on here mm. we had a small construction company that um described themselves as god-fearing and freedom-loving and indeed kicked them off forever for life because that was a violation of their community standards. Um, we were doing some work for the DeSantis campaign and indeed would not allow those job postings on there, regardless of what you think of that whole situation. Indeed was definitely using their worldview to push people off their platform, right? Mm -hmm. And so the reality is that if you go to Indeed, you can find out how to interview a non-binary person in a way that's not offensive. So yes, I would say Indeed is the alternative <laughs> if you're looking for that. One of the things that I think is so compelling about you specifically running this organization is, you know, having having been in D.C. for for about three years now and, and specifically in a period of of great sort of speciation and churn with with new ideas, political people coming up with ideas in the business world is a thing that happens all the time. And I'm sure like like I remember I, I there was this guy who like snuck into an event he was not supposed to be at who was claiming he was going to create anti-woke server infrastructure and he's a lifelong mm -hmm. political consultant to know anything about technology and like right. was stuffing his business card in everyone's hand just grifting off of it um you know the 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 piece of it that i think is so compelling in your case is that you know, a, a political person, a pundit, a commentator could easily come in and say, we're going to create the anti-woke job board. And they may have. I don't know how many organizations like yours exist, but you've actually hired and fired and built right. a company that had no political valence other than the culture that you were trying to set internally. Um, with that background, what are the what are sort of non-obvious parts of doing what you do that you guys are specifically suited to do better than anyone else? Yeah. Um, business execution is really hard and doing business execution while not just blowing through lots and lots of money is even harder. Right. Um, and I would love to avoid any future exits. And I know that every entrepreneur out there like, man, I'm going to build this business, build it to exit and make a big check. Um, and and there's a reason private equity buys businesses because they're not idiots. They're buying it because they think they can make more money owning it than not. Right. And so they're willing to put in crazy amounts of money. And why, why would we want to exit? Why would we want to build? Why, why would we as conservatives and Christians want to use our creativity, our God-given creativity to build a business to hand off to someone else, right? And so um, I would like to build a business that I don't have to exit. Well, doing that requires me to be much more diligent on building infrastructure that didn't cost millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I obviously need to be on non-woke 
um, IT infrastructure, which we are, because we are uh, very prone to uh, people would want to cancel us if given the opportunity. Um, but we also need to put ourselves in the shoes of customers. And that's hard to do um, if you're in the echo chamber of D.C., yeah. right? You're not you're not down with people. And so, you know, this this kind of premium product where we go through and we actually do the hiring and we help with that hiring for customers. Well, that came from me hiring a lot of um, recruiters over the years and realizing there's this weird perverse incentive where there's some good recruiters, but there's a lot of charlatans in that space where they're charging 20 to 30% of the first year salary of the person they hire. So they hire you a $200,000 COO or a $300,000 COO, and they get 20% on that. Well, that's a really big check that a small business, in fact, Moms for America, um, her board, Kimberly's board basically said, you need a plan on spending 25000 per hire and just go out and get yourself a recruiter. And so she posted her jobs on Red Balloon and she said it was amazing because she got 17 of the best people she's ever seen. And her set only sadness was she could only hire one of them. Right. And it costs her well less than a thousand dollars to do that so um so that's the kind of innovation that we know we have to do because we've been in the seat of the business person thinking man it's going to literally destroy my business if i have to spend this much to hire people and i know i need uh valuable people who are culture fit and so i think you need to have someone who's been in that seat who has the constraints of um time and money uh to be able to build a business like this the the other piece of this that you know i Full disclosure, like one of the things that, that I have been historically a little bit concerned about in the sort of parallel economy space that's emerging um, is is people trying to wrap their arms around a problem that is that is too large. Um, and sure. um, and and I guess my 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 cut on that in the case of what you're doing would be, you know, trying to do a nationwide cross sector job board. Um, how are you thinking? Because because it's you know, at, at any early stage in that process, you know, it's a couple people here, a couple people there. Sure. Like it's it. How are you thinking through that problem right now in terms of, um, you know, the the early days of the organization? And I guess you're, you guys are getting into not just the early days, but the later For days sure. too. Um, getting around the problem of, you know, there's 330 million people in this country. There's tens of millions of businesses. How do you how do you get around this? Yeah, um, I don't know that we've solved it yet. Um, great book, uh, Cold Start. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the author, but cold starts a great book. When you're thinking about a two-sided marketplace, really talk through it. And they do tell you, you should be concentrating in different areas. We tried that with Dallas and actually got some, um, concentration there. Um, but, um, uh, but it's kind of this, also this weird moment, um, uh, because I do think there's a lot of people in this parallel economy that are riding on the fact that they are a conservative or Christian business and they don't have the best product. They're just riding on the fact that they're part of the parallel economy. Yeah. And I think and that, therefore you must buy me my that's product, right, even though it costs more and it's a piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I want to avoid that temptation. We want to be the best at what we do. And honestly, this this premium product where we actually go and help companies hire is partly my answer. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if I am posting jobs like Answers in Genesis got a ton of applicants right away and they're in Kentucky mm -hmm. because people want to work for a company like Answers in Genesis. Sure. Um, and, and a lot of other businesses have succeeded where I also have some small welding shops in the Midwest that, yep, they didn't get anybody to even look at their job because it wasn't that interesting to them. Yeah. So, so that is a real problem because getting to scale is hard. And so that's where we did this pivot and said, okay, so if a business comes to us and says, we are trying to hire this position in this location, then we can manually 
take on the work of actually going out and finding people, having real conversations with real people. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to move here? Are you interested? Because, you know, it used to be people would move for a job. Now everyone assumes that they can work from home. Da, 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 da. Most of the Red Balloon companies, they like in person because um, they don't want um, the cultural um momentum that's created from not working i'm, I'm, I'm still waiting office. for someone to create an etf of only um in-office working companies that's right <laughs> i will put my entire savings I, for, into that. <laughs> uh, for, for sure right and so and so that's that was the way yeah. that we and but that was like that took some like okay so how do we solve this problem because either we're just going to focus on an industry or a location um, and lots of people wanted us to go into LinkedIn and be a LinkedIn competitor or a Fiverr competitor. Um, I've had people all over Europe ask, when's Red Balloon going to come to Europe, um, Australia and New Zealand? And the answer is not anytime soon because you've got to focus as a business. And in fact, Public Square, um, early on, Public Square had they were a marketplace that had a job board. And I had, was a job board that also had a marketplace. And so Michael and I sat down and said, hey, how do we actually work together? Instead of trying to boil the ocean, um, conservatives are traditionally bad at actually working together. What if we tried? And so he got rid of his job board and I got rid of my marketplace. And we send businesses and if, if business who just hired through Red Balloon is like, hey, now I want to advertise these people. I'm like, that's great. We're not the right platform. You should go over to Public Square. And Public Square is like, oh, hey, if you're hiring, you should go over to Red Balloon. Well, that's actually just been a big blessing for both organizations. But something conservatives are really bad at, right? We're yeah. kind of like, hey, you're 5% different than me, then I can never work with you. Um, and I think the liberals have been better at coordinating, working together. I mean, you think about, uh, I got a lot of friends that were at Parler when they got canceled. And you think about Apple, Google, and Amazon all work together to shut down Parler. Like those are three arch rival businesses. You're like Apple and Google, and Android, like those are like, you know, behemoth arch rivals. And yet they uh, put aside their differences for a minute to nuke Parler, right? And so I think conservatives should probably do a better job of figuring out how to work together. And I think that's how you start to solve some of this um, scale problem. Because you're right, it is a scale problem. It is a one two-sided marketplace um, and it is a challenge. Another potentially uncomfortable question. You know, one of the things I, especially at especially if we don't get another pandemic level shutdown or yep. series of vax mandates and stuff, um, you know, squeaky wheels coming out of existing companies and jobs might be doing so for values reasons. They also sometimes are doing so because they mm -hmm. got fired and they're, they're out of their loser. job. Yeah. yeah. How do you think through that problem? You know, uh, is it uh, the, the people drawn to Red Balloon um, can have a, a very, very good in scope reason for being drawn to Red Balloon, mm -hmm. but they can also be, you know, and you see this sometimes like the same four people that are on everyone's job board because they suck and no one wants to hire them and there's a reason for it. How do you think for sure. that problem? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I'm more of a libertarian. So I'm like, look, the market, let the market work those things out. If someone's a bad person, they're going to, <laughs> they're going to rise to the surface as a bad person pretty quickly. Uh, but the reality is that for, Customers who are looking for hardworking conservatives for businesses, you're going to get a way higher proportion on Red Balloon. So one of our businesses, a restaurant, um, is they said when they post a job on Indeed, one in 10 candidates show up for the interview, not the job, the interview, hmm. because they're just collecting their unemployment checks and you have to show that you're actually applying for jobs. And so they schedule interviews right on top of each other, knowing that 
generally people are just not going to show up for those things. Um, David Bonson um, is uh, the Bonson Group. Uh, they uh, posted the job on Red Balloon and on ZipRecruiter, and they said they got 100 applicants on ZipRecruiter and three were worth talking to. And they posted the same job on Red Balloon and got three applicants and all three were rock stars. So um, while I can't control the quality of the people, uh, it is interesting. When we, when we get people coming over from LinkedIn to Red Balloon, we have a special landing page for them that has the pledge that they have to read slowly and has a big American flag in the background. <laughs> and when we added the American flag in the background, we had a bounce rate. It was 80% of the people would sign the pledge. Yeah, it's great. Whatever. I want a job. Then we, we did this big American flag in the background. It went down to 40% oh actually goodness. went through. <laughs> so it was an amazing filter to put an American flag in the background, right? And so just things like that, you're going to know that you're probably going to have a values aligned job seeker. Um, are they still a loser? Sure, because there's losers that are conservatives and liberals. So one of the things that I'm pretty skeptical about as it relates to the kind of conservative ecosystem of businesses, you were talking about this, that it's um, frequently more expensive and a lot of the stuff is crap. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think about, you know, the conservative business world is we don't do a very good job at innovation, like yep. making um, new things, inventing new things. It's kind of an art that that we've lost. We say we sure. need the conservative alternative to X. Yeah, Correct. It's, Correct. It's, it's always yep. like, you know, sure. we just need this, but for the right. Yeah. Um, how do you think about uh, that, especially like building a, a tech company in a in an industry, you know, where there are not a lot of conservatives? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't say it's easy, right? Uh, we we don't do research and development very well as conservatives. We're just kind of, yes, you're right. We're borrowing like, oh, I want a conservative, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and I don't think that's the right way to think it. Sometimes you got to catch up, right? Do we need uh, servers that are not going to cancel us? Yes, we do. Um, is that exactly what Amazon Web Services is doing? Yes, but we just need someone who's not going to cancel. Totally. Us. That's great. Right? Basic infrastructure. Basic infrastructure. That's And and a job board, honestly, is basic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, I think that some of the innovation is going to come around. Um, most of tech that's in the, the job seeker space, anybody who's working on connecting, they're leaning hard into AI right now. They're saying, you know, we're going to do an AI match. We're going to read your resume with AI. We're going to suggest jobs with AI and all those things. And I think hiring is actually a distinctly human thing to do. And so this is going to sound funny, but the innovation is we're trying to involve humans in the process as much as possible. And we're actually doing that interview for the business. And we're actually, if we see a business that's not getting applicants on Red Balloon, um, I have a lot of young, intelligent college students who are going out and finding them people and saying, hey, there's this job at a conservative business. And they'll go on LinkedIn or other places and say, would you be interested in applying to this? Um, and it's amazing when these businesses who are paying 75 bucks a month and they have an NSA student say, you know, hey, I just reached out to so-and-so on your behalf and they're interested in applying to your job. Um, here's their email address if you guys want to connect. And the business is like, what is this? Right. And so customer service can be an innovation. Yeah. Right. Um, having a human involved in that hiring process can be an innovation. Is it the ultimate innovation? I have no idea. But right now, it is delighting our businesses. Um, and then and then this process where instead of paying $60,000 to a recruiter, you're paying $4,500 to Red Balloon to do this whole process where we take over the hiring process for you. Like that is a, uh, a scale and infrastructure innovation. Right. We just said, hey, we're going to cut the cost of this down 
you know, in some cases down to 5% of what it was before. And we're going to take on this hiring process for you. And it is amazing. Uh, these businesses are like, you literally saved my business because I didn't know how to hire. And instead of paying forty or $60,000 for um, to get a recruiter that I don't know if I can trust them, Red Balloon's just going to take it over for me. And it's only $4,500 and the process is taken care of and it's very human and I get market feedback. It's amazing, right? And I am, as a business person, figuring out how do I build that in such a way that it's profitable and still a blessing to those customers. So innovation comes in a lot of different ways. That's how we're trying to innovate right now. I'm not saying that we're at the end of the road. We need to be innovating all the time. Yeah. So having the, because what you're doing is sort of basic <clears throat> infrastructure, you have a bird's eye view into this broader project of uh, a parallel economy of, of the conservative parallel economy. What are some of the big bottlenecks that you think uh, are going to emerge? What are some of the hard problems that still need to be solved? Um, what, what, you know, sort of Monday morning quarterback, the progress that's been made so far and, and what still needs to be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. The parallel economy. I mean, I, honestly, some of the big players right now, I'll pick on a public square, um, they still have a long way to go to replace Amazon. But at the same time, Amazon took a long time to get where they are right now. So I'm not saying that, you know, Public Square in less than two years should have caught up with those mm -hmm. um, organizations. Um, there's communication. I'd say communication is probably our biggest um, bottleneck if we were worried about cancel culture or anything like that. You think all of us have a Google or an Apple phone and all of us are on those networks. Even if you use Signal or other things, the reality is that AT&T, Verizon, the big cell phone companies own the infrastructure and Apple and Google make your phone in China. Um, I would say that is probably, uh, and I don't see a solution to, to that anytime soon. Those are really, really big problems, right? So if we are worried about cancel culture, if we're worried about um, losing freedom, that is a huge bottleneck that many of us would really struggle without a smartphone these days, right? Um, so I would say that's a that's a big one. Um, but we are making headway. So Public Square and Red Balloon did a uh, in we uh, surveyed fifty thousand businesses in this freedom economy. We call it the Freedom Economy Index, um, and we've now done two monthly surveys of these people, asking them all kinds of things about what they think of politics, uh, politicians of the economy, of their business, of infrastructure, all of these things. And the results have been really fascinating. And I think this should be encouraging to a lot of people. Um, the red freedom economy is thriving. Um, most of the businesses said they're very worried about the economy, but they are growing and hiring themselves. And so I think what's happening is you're getting this weird tale of two economies that are happening right now and this bifurcation. You see this with red states and blue states, right? Where the red states are thriving because they have less taxes and regulation and blue states are dying and going into major budget deficits. Mm -hmm. Well, this is happening at a business level as well. So a lot of these small businesses are thriving, they're growing, they're successful. I talked to an HVAC company. He's like, I'm literally booked for two years right now because I have so much work to do. And so, um, businesses that say they're do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it at the price they say they're going to do it which is kind of describes a conservative generally not always um, they're going to thrive and do very well even though the economy is struggling and so we have 80 percent of our businesses saying i think we're going to go into a recession but i'm going to continue to hire because my business is doing well well that's an interesting moment right if that's happening and the economy is kind of shaky 
and yet these businesses are just growing and thriving, well, give it a minute and they're going to catch up and all of a sudden the parallel economy is going to be the economy. Right. Yeah. And that's what I hope for. So I'm curious about this question might be a, a little out of scope, but um, how you think about, you know, the difference between blue and, and white collar work like you brought sure. up the the um hvac company like i was trying to get some uh chimney work done a couple months ago and it's a year-long wait you know uh we have a, a huge lack of um you know experienced and trustworthy blue collar people to do these kinds of jobs you know in our homes our communities mm -hmm. businesses how do you think about solving that problem um because as you said earlier um a lot of people are kind of laser focused on wanting to have this remote job where they can just be at home for you sure. know, all day, work like four hours and then yeah. and then be done. Check <laughs> yeah. out on a on a macro level. Um, how do you generally not not necessarily red balloon, but generally, how do you think you solve that problem? It's a cultural shift, right? If I'm a if I'm a construction company, I need to be doing a lot of uh, employment branding right now and telling people what a great career can be. Because what happened is you had this: the baby boomers were the most wealthy generation the world has ever seen because they were the first generation that consistently both parents went to work and worked, right? And so they generated unprecedented amounts of wealth, and now they have kids who are lazy uh, people, right? And we have this. This the real pandemic is the opioids happening or there's so many young men who are addicted to video games that they don't actually go out and work. It's disgusting. Right. And it's actually bad for your soul to the, I think the four hour work week and all the the striving for as little work as possible is just really bad for your soul. Um, God made us to work. And if you look at um Neeson Talib has an interesting, uh, you know, he went a little bit COVID crazy, but he has some interesting stuff in his books and talks about that, you know, you'd think the safest place for you to be would be in your bed or on your couch. But if you spend all your time there, your blood will pool and you'll die because bodies need friction. They need hard things. And that's how we live and survive. Well, it's true of your brain as well. You need to strive and do hard things and construction is good for your soul uh, but we have to have a cultural shift because these baby boomers who made all this money worked really hard they want their kids to be doctors and lawyers and politicians um, and we need people who are hvac workers and plumbers and chimney masons right mm -hmm. um, and that's going to have to be a culture shift now at the same time those of us who have kids which I do, I have five of them. Um, I see this as a huge opportunity because if I have hardworking kids who are gonna go and actually um, not be afraid of work, they're gonna be completely differentiated from most of the kids coming out of the public school system today. And so they're gonna succeed and do very, very well. Um, but uh, we have to have a cultural shift to get back to those blue collar jobs, or we need to figure out how to do immigration the right way. Uh, which is not what's happening right now. Yeah. And how do you think about um, higher education as as a part of this? We were talking about before the show, you know, yeah. that you didn't uh, go to, to university. Um, how, how much of I'm assuming it's a lot, but how much of our higher education system is the problem? Yeah, it's it's a huge part of the problem, right? Um, I don't know what it is this year, but for a long time, the top degree generated in America every year was psychology. <laughs> undergrad in psychology. It was the highest unemployed degree and it was the top degree because people are like, you know, I feel like if I know myself, 
<laughs> everything will work out and that's not true there's a classic tweet um which is you know just to be clear therapy is when you talk to a liberal until they you agree with them um right for sure and so, and for so sure. what's the discipline of psychology then is you right. know, the process of how to do that and do that well so right it's, exactly it's, and, it's and it's an undergrad an undergrad in psychology is completely useless you can't do anything with yeah. that right except work at starbucks and so um i think universities have done a huge disservice to the American people, because those people who are like, I don't know what I want to do. Well, they just go into psychology rather than, well, have you thought about welding? Have you thought about some of these, you know, so when I was at MZ, um, this is a, a clear example. So I'm in an Uber and my Uber driver said, so what are you doing with your life? He's like, well, I'm going to um, Seattle Central Community College to get an AA degree. And then I'm going to go to UW and get a psychology degree. And I said, why are you going to do that? He says, well, I feel like if I know myself, people will employ me. I'm like, okay. And it's just kind of this moment like, okay, do I destroy his dreams? And the answer was yes. <laughs> and so I, I said, well, do you know that's the highest unemployed degree in America right now? And you're going to load up yourself with a ton of debt for the rest of your life. And you're not going to earn more money because you got that stupid psychology degree. And he's like, what? So I pull out my phone and this is where I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take you through an assessment right now. It's going to take you two minutes. And so we go through this assessment. He's like, oh, I didn't know graphic design was a career, right? And you realize the level of ignorance by the young people in our country today. He didn't know that graphic design was a career. And he's like, I love doing graphic design. I'm like, and further, and this is, you know, back to what MZ was trying to do. You can see they have a program at the community college you're already at for graphic design. And it looks like here are 28 employers that are hiring in your backyard that are paying $50,000 a year for someone with only a graphic design certificate. Mm. So he's like, you realize you just saved me two years of my life and $200,000 of debt because I just had access to that information. But the problem is most Americans don't have access to that information. They think, you know, these construction jobs, blue collar jobs are terrible. And so I'm going to go get my psychology degree. And so, um, yeah. And, and the problem is I was also deep in the heart of these universities. And so I saw their business model and they needed psychology grads to come in and then to drop out in two years, right? Mm -hmm. This is the dirty little secret of the university system. They have to have dropouts because the margin on freshmen and sophomores is way higher than it is on juniors. Large and class sizes. Large class sizes with a TA lecturing. Whereas when you get to a senior, you've got a professor actually working with, you know, a small group of students. And so they need to load up a student with debt on a psychology degree and then have them drop out two years later because they can't cut it. That's the only way that their business model works. Um, and the demographics are about to nuke universities in America, which would be exciting. It's a little granular, but a couple of years ago, Google released, I believe, four pilot certificate programs. Mm -hmm. um, did you see that at the time? Is there any kind of retrospective on how that has played out? I think it was like one was like UI design, one yep. was like database related. Any, any thoughts on that? Oh, it's um, honestly a lot of businesses, even businesses on Red Balloon would rather hire someone who's has a master's degree in the school of hard knocks than a bachelor's degree from some liberal university. Because mm -hmm. um, increasingly the, the education is not useful, A. And then B, um, they have earnings expectations associated with the massive amount of debt that they've just accumulated, mm -hmm. right? Whereas you get someone who is um, not loaded down with debt, who's been taught to be a free thinker, has shown that they actually can work. Businesses are willing to train them. 
businesses are willing to put them through coding boot camps or, um, you know, give them on the job training if they're a hardworking person with a good attitude. So I think that that is going to be the trend that combined with the fact that low birth rates and abortion in America, um, we are about to hit a demographic moment where a lot of universities are simply going to go out of business because there aren't enough high schoolers coming through the system to make their existence worthwhile. We're in that. I mean, there, there's massive class contraction going on, especially yeah. at the lower third of universities. Um, as sort of a, a final question, you know, you mentioned this sort of smattering of different businesses as sort of case studies of, of examples where Red Balloon's been really useful. Um, uh, if you had to like pick a white whale in terms of a um, an industry or a sector of the economy where you think there's a potential for sort of hockey stick takeover from the mentality that organizations like yours and Public Square are bringing to the table, where is that? Like what, mm. where if you could train fire to like shoot for the moon and have the whole thing. Yeah. Is there a potential? And maybe it's a couple places. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because I think that we have two economies in the US and, and increasingly we're gonna have a red economy and a blue economy mm -hmm. where, um, you know, liberals in mass, uh, there was a survey that basically said they are more willing to uh, spend with a with alignment of their values than conservatives are mm -hmm. right and we saw what happened to anheuser-busch and target um and there's some there's some people that are concerned that what happened to anheuser-busch was actually done on purpose that they wanted this great american brand that was you know apple pie baseball budweiser right they wanted to destroy something that you know americans identified with um that's a side note given that the ceo um worked at the CIA <laughs> <laughs> makes you wonder. Anyway, that's a side note. Makes uh, you think. <laughs> I know, I know. I used to not be a conspiracy theorist and then 2020 came around and uh, I think it's, yeah, anyway. Um, um, and who knows? But um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that you're going to just have this parallel economy continue to bubble up and somebody based on not what industry they're in, but based on their level of execution and business acumen, is going to succeed as a, at a hockey stick level. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, by the grace of God, I plan on building Red Balloon to a billion dollar business because the labor problem is not going away. Wokeness in the workplace is not going away. Um, and so I fully intend to um, be the place where people who want to be free at work know where to go. And I'm starting to talk to some publicly traded companies who are saying, look, um, I got to figure out if I can deal with the backlash from my board, but I want to hire the people that are on Red Balloon. I don't want to hire the people who are on Indeed. Um, and and these are CEO level of publicly traded companies saying, I see what's going on. And I know that if I build cultural momentum with just hardworking conservatives, my business will succeed. And if I build cultural momentum with people coming off Indeed or ZipRecruiter who are, you know, anarchists and hate capitalism, my business is not going to succeed. And so um, I'm obviously betting on the labor side because I think conservatives know how to work. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I think it's going to be more based on who's running it than what industry it's in. Andrew, this has been a fascinating discussion. Where can people keep up with everything that you're doing and saying, writing, and more, more importantly, how can they sign up for Red Balloon? Yeah, yeah. So redballoon.work. It's not .com. Uh, redballoon.work. Um, you can go there. We have a ton of resources for job seekers. Everything's free for job seekers. We have an employee bill of rights. So if you feel like you're stuck at a woke 
uh, corporation and you want to know what you can stand up for, what your rights are, um, that is a legally vetted document by the lawyer, the labor lawyer, uh, employee bill of rights, encourage you to download it, read it, memorize it. Um, and then obviously if you're a business and you want to hire, you want to be in a position where either you're just posting your jobs and having them in front of the best job seekers in the world, or if you want us to take over that hiring process, we'd love to have that conversation. Um, and then we're on all of the social media platforms, both the woke ones and the non woke ones. So at red balloon work, um, and you can follow me on Twitter, but, um, I'm bad at social media. I'll just tell you right now. It's always <laughs> been a very, it's confusing thing to me, but, um, but yeah, we're, we're on there, um, as well. So, you know, we'd love, we'd love to have businesses, job seekers join the movement. You'll have no idea how much better your life will be when you hire people who don't hate you. Awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hopefully you enjoyed that discussion a little bit off the beaten path. Andrew is, I think, one of the only people I trust to build these businesses in the parallel economy. Again, D.C. and the rest of the country are full of these grifters that are from politics who are leading you to believe that they're going to somehow build titanic businesses. Andrew actually has done it, and he can do it again. Uh, Redballoon.work is is just absolutely fantastic. And um, give them feedback. Participate in it. We have Those of you who are out in the country who are not going to necessarily participate in politics immediately, send us feedback that you get having used the product. Um, we think it's extremely important that it do well. And Andrew's a humble, God-fearing man who's open to criticism. And so um, it was a fascinating discussion. I could spend another three hours talking to him about the business side of things. You know, I had planned on asking him deep questions about venture capital, private equity, M&A, and everything. And then Nick cut me off because we would have gone for three hours. <laughs> um, so just a, just a fantastic discussion. Um, thank you guys, as always, for listening. We love doing this show. We've done over 120 episodes now, and it's only possible because you guys continue to listen to it. Be sure to rate and review the podcast. Um, thank you again. Thank you to Magic Mind for supporting the show. And we will see you guys next week. Moment of Truth is an American Moment Studios production filmed at the Conservative Partnership Center. Our podcast is produced and edited by Jake Mercier and Jared Cummings. Our intro music is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Serenich. Don't forget to like and subscribe on all platforms, and you can go to AmericanMoment.org to learn more. Thank you.